It's Monday the 14th of February 2022 and you're listening to a bonus episode of Reds Unrestricted. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Well, today, as I said in the introduction, it's a bit of a bonus episode. We're going to be looking ahead to the Champions League tie against Inter Milan, obviously the first leg this week in Milan, followed by the return leg at Anfield in a, in a few weeks' time. And we're joined to do this by Ewan Burns, who's a writer for Forza Italian Football and Sempre Inter, so I'm sure he'll be able to provide some expertise and give us an indication really of what kind of test Liverpool are going to face um, and I'm also joined as usual by Dan Club and Chloe Bloxham my regular co-host so we're just going to ask you and really a few questions about certain players style of play and just kind of how interseason's gone to get a feel for it and see how confident we should really be of progressing to the quarterfinals of the Champions League so we'll get straight into it Ewan and we'll begin I suppose, with the the off-season uh, leading into 21-22, where Inter lost not only the manager, Antonio Conte, but also a few players who'd been key in, in winning Serie A last season in the form of Lukaku, Hakimi, and maybe to a slightly lesser extent, Christian Eriksen, who obviously had that medical emergency at the Euros. But they went out and replaced them with Eden Dzeko, Denzel Dumfries, who was you know really impressive at the Euros for the Netherlands, and Charnel Glue actually obviously you know came across from uh, City rivals AC Milan. So how have have those three players um, done in terms of filling the gap, and has it proved to be really smart recruitment from Inter? Yeah, it it's been incredibly smart. It's been a lot smarter than everyone sort of expected because um, I don't think it can be understated how sudden it was when. Conte walked out of the club. That was never part of the plan. That was never meant to happen. Um, it sort of became clear that they were going to have to trim the squad, trim the wage budget, etc. And in that summer, they basically needed to they needed to end the window with about around 80 million euro in profit and cut the wage budget by around 15%. Which doing that and trying to defend the title and being in the Champions League again is a very very hard thing to do. So he walked. They got some money in Zaghi in very quickly, which has worked brilliantly. He's doing an incredible job. And then, like you said, you know, Hakimi went pretty soon after. Um, Dumfries came in, who has had a bit of a slow start, but just in the last few weeks, he's kind of bedded in now. He he was he was linked throughout the summer, but he only joined right at the end, which didn't help in terms of settling in everything, getting embedded in the squad. But he's looking like a very good player now. Chalinolu for... Ericsson, his biggest problem at Milan was that he was inconsistent, and there has been a bit of that into, but he's still, you know, he's got six goals and nine assists, and you can't really complain about that. It's a very good return for half a season. And then, you know, Eden Dzeko is the big one. He's he's done a lot better than people expected because he he didn't have a very good time in his last season at Roma, and um, people sort of forgot, you know, myself included, how good he is, and he's now on. 13 goals already this season and he's just clicked into that team perfectly. And obviously we look at the, the title race that they're in um, you know I think they've only dropped points in two of their last five but obviously one of them was in that Milan derby against AC Milan where they did slip up um, and they do play Napoli which is a massive game now. Inter do have one game in hand but are they still um, majority favourites to win Serie A? 
Yeah, yeah, they're definitely still expected to go and win, but that that Milan result did hugely tra- change the dynamic of the whole thing because if they'd won that, they'd have been seven points ahead of Milan with the game in hand, which you know that's it's a huge gap to make up when they've barely dropped any points at all this season. But now, you know, that's been cut, and then with this Napoli game, it's it's a very it's a very hard sort of almost the worst point in the season to try and judge where they're at because if they lose that Napoli game it, it really is on Napoli go ahead of them obviously there's that game in hand which that's not going to be played until March probably um, so that's going to keep being an annoying factor when trying to judge where they're at but in terms of the squad and the form they've shown so far you know they, they should be the team who go on and win win the title this season and obviously you look back at the, the team's um, that they they faced in the Champions League. Liverpool did face AC Milan, who beat them in the derby the other week. Um, do you think that Milan are a level up from AC Milan? Because that game, it seemed like Liverpool were literally in first gear and just strolled through the game. I'm expecting a bigger game against Inter Milan, but do you think they have enough to to bypass Liverpool? They they do have enough, but they need a lot to go in their favour. So in terms of um, what you saw of AC Milan in that group stage, what was weird about them is that throughout that group stage, they, they they were a different team to what they were in Italy. It was really bizarre because it wasn't just the games against Liverpool. The, the, the other two games, it was at Porto and Atleti, they were just nowhere near what they're capable of. So I wouldn't say that they're necessarily that far behind Inter. I think on, the, you know, on their day, as they showed the other night, they can they can beat them, but I think Inter is a it's a more polished team. I'd say I think it, it has to be a lot harder for Liverpool to beat Inter than it was in specifically those two group games. Yeah, to be fair, Ewan, I think um, it, to be fair to AC Milan, they, they put up a fight in the first game in particular. They actually they actually hurt us just before half time in that one, but that second one, the San Siro, they weren't they weren't even in the contest, and I think. A lot of Liverpool fans were almost belittling Serie A in the aftermath of that because I think AC were top at the time in the second game and we just thought if they're top of that league then there can't be much going on there anymore. But talking about the Champions League moreover, obviously Inter finished second behind Real. Um, but the group generally, you know, you'd have expected Inter Milan to qualify with, I think it was Sheriff Tiraspol and Shakhtar Donetsk in there, um, although Sheriff did obviously shock Real. Um so how did you rate sort of Inter Milan's passage through the group stages? Um, and in particular, I suppose, against the strongest opposition in terms of Real Madrid? So for them, it, it was really a group stage of two halves because they, they, they've, they've had a bit of a blind spot in the Champions League in recent years. So they've not been in the knockout since 2010 when they last won it. Um, and, you know, with the financial issues, getting through this group was really important because you know the windfall from just getting that much further is key um and obviously they lost the first game against Real which they absolutely shouldn't this has been a theme of their season is that they created an insane amount of chances against a very good Real Madrid team and ended up losing 1-0 they conceded right at the end and it was just it was just a wasteful display um and then they drew with Shakhtar in the second game so they had two games they were sat in I think third in the group one point Sheriff had won twice and it was like, well, you know, if they carry that on, <laughs> then there's a genuine chance that they're not getting 
through into groups. So then, then they had that double header against Sheriff where they basically just had to win both games. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of dodgy patches in each game, but, you know, they relatively comfortably did win. Then uh, I think they beat Shakhtar again, and that was, you know, they sort of got out of trouble. And then in that final group game against Real Madrid, it was kind of a winner-takes-all situation. And they they started really well, like the first game. And then Tony Kroos scored a fantastic goal. And then it sort of started to turn a bit. And then Barella got that red card, which just, you know, ended any chance of them winning that game. And it ended up being 2-0. But overall, it's, you know, second in the group as a result they'd have taken if you handed it to them at the start. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, like that, like Dan alluded to, really, it was almost... Uh when you looked at the draw itself, it was like, well, Rail will probably be the strongest team in the group and then Inter should, you know, comfortably enough finish ahead of the, of the two other sides. So secure on that passage to the first uh, Champions League knockout tie in, in over a decade, as you mentioned, um, eventually proved to be pretty straightforward. But moving away from maybe form and more kind of the nature of the side, um, obviously we, we opened the podcast by talking about this sort of post-Antonio Conte era and, and the playing staff, but what about uh, Inzaghi, the manager, and his his kind of stylistic vision? Um, how different is it from um, what you would have seen before with Conte, and what are kind of the key features that we need to be aware of? So when Inzaghi took over, part of what made it a smart appointment, given it was kind of done off the cuff, was that he was already using the same three five two system at Lazio and had done for four or five years. Um, so for the first few weeks when they were winning games, a lot of people were sort of suggesting that he's just sort of piggybacking off of Conte's work with a largely similar squad and the same system. But it's sort of slowly become clear that they, they don't play the same way in the sense that they they control the ball and games a lot more than Antonio Conte's Inter did. So under Conte, they were quite happy to let the other team have the ball. And then they were so dangerous once they got it, you know, with the likes of Hakimi and Lukaku that, you know, they could just win games that way. They just sort of stormed teams in little five to ten minute patches. But now, you know, every player gets on the ball constantly. There's, you know, even including the centre-backs, everyone is involved in every attack. They just they just try and pen teams in as much as they can. Whether they'll do that with Liverpool, I don't know. They might have to, they might have to adapt how they play a bit because obviously they're not used to playing a team of Liverpool's quality. But... Um, Dzeko has also changed the way they play. You know, Lukaku is not the sort of player who you sort of play those wall bang passes off. You know, you'd find him running in behind a lot more, whereas obviously Dzeko is not going to do that. Um, but his touch and his sort of first time passing is so good that they often play off him gradually up the pitch and it eventually ends with a cross in towards him and he's so good in the box that that is the route that a lot of their goals come from. Whereas under Conte, it was a bit more through the middle out wide, back into the middle, and then a good ball through to Lukaku, who's managed to play on the shoulder of the defender. And obviously, we all know how potent Liverpool's attack is. Um, you had Diaz into that mix, you had Salah coming back, you had Mane, who will uh, be back as well. Um, are you slightly worried for uh, Inter Milan's defence? You know, they've got some great players there, Skriniar, De Vrij, um, you know, obviously... You've got the goalkeeper, which I think is a really good uh, positive for them. I think he's a great player, Handanovic. Um, but are you worried for them because of how much possession Liverpool may have and how much we might just end up dragging them um, and eventually these players might get tired? Yeah, I don't think there's a single defence that can go into a game with 
this Liverpool team and feel confident. Um, they are one of one of the better defences in Europe. They're certainly a very very strong defence, but they um, they th- th- there are there are moments within each player in that defence, and I'm thinking more towards Stefan de Frey because he he got turned in the derby the other week for the um, for the Giroud goal, and he's he's done a few of them in recent weeks. He is a player who can be caught a little bit flat-footed, and obviously the likes of Mane Salah, you know, they're, they're not going to let him get away with that. Um, and there's not really much in the way of depth there. So say there's an injury, a player coming on is not going to be at the same calibre as the um, as Bastoni, Scrignard and Defray, who are the three that will definitely start the game, providing everyone's fit. They have got the benefit of um, Marcelo Brozovic in front is he's just everywhere all the time and that includes screening those three defenders and it does give them that little extra layer of extra layer of backing before they can before they get attacked at basically but I think they they will know that this is their toughest test so far this season yeah um, obviously let's hope so from the Liverpool perspective but you mentioned Brozovic there he's someone who's been linked with a move away from Milan Um somebody else who has who's a very you know, top-level players, obviously, the Toro Martinez. And he's somebody Klopp spoke about previously, actually. I think he described him as one of the most exciting players around. Um, is he somebody who can hurt Liverpool? Obviously, he can hurt most teams. But, you know, like you alluded to there, you're almost going up a level in quality compared to Serie A to Champions League, especially of Liverpool's level here. Um, is Martinez capable of, of hurting this Liverpool side? Um, and also, is he somebody who is perennially linked with a move away, is he somebody you'd expect to move on eventually? Yeah, he's certainly capable. There's no denying that he's a very, very, very high-quality striker, but he has these weird dips in form, which he had one earlier in the season, and then he, he seems to be in one right now, which Inzaghi won't be happy with coming into this game. So he's not scored in the league since December. He's only scored once in 2022, and that was a penalty in the uh, Super Cup final. So he's he's not high on confidence right now, but he is the sort of player who can just suddenly do something. You know, there's quite a few players in that inter-team, the same with Liverpool. There's a lot of players who can just suddenly do something brilliant and you get reminded of why they're sort of worth all the talk. Yeah. But um, in terms of transfers, he's weird in that sense as well because he's regularly been linked away ever since he joined the club just because people are interested in him. And then um, it looked very likely during the summer that he would be the one leaving rather than Lukaku. Um, There's quite a few Spanish teams were very keen on him, but no one really had the money at the time. Um, Then he signed a new deal earlier this season, which was a big money deal for, I think, five, possibly six years. But even despite that, the club is sort of... the, the, The suggestion is that they are open to letting him go in the summer should somebody you know, make a big enough bid. You know, they're not going to shop him around. But if someone came to them and said, is 80 million, 90 million euro, then they're probably going to take that because there are enough sort of striking options in Italy that they know they could replace him for a hell of a lot less money than that. And that sort of transfer fee will probably sustain them for another season. Yeah, it's certainly music to the ears of Liverpool fans, I suppose, to hear that one of the, the big stars in in the inter side, uh, Martinez is kind of low on confidence and maybe uh, isn't informed. Although this would obviously be maybe an occasion where he'd he'd raise his game. We see that quite often against Liverpool. But another player who Liverpool fans will be 
sort of relieved, I think, is Nicolo Barella because he's obviously suspended uh, for both legs um, off the back of, I think, a, a red card in the group stages. He's someone who, you know, I, I don't regularly watch Serie A, but every time I watch highlights of Inter games, he seems to produce something special, like whether it's a pass in the lead up to a goal or an assist or just something like really subtle. You know, he's a really aesthetically pleasing footballer um, and someone who I was kind of dreading facing off the back of that, to be honest. Obviously, we saw him at the, the European Championships as well. So how much of a blow is it um, for him not to be available for Inter? Because he's got to be surely one of the, the best players in the team. Yeah, this him being suspended is a huge factor in how this tie will likely go. Obviously, when the draw was made, you know, Liverpool were clearly the favourites, but it's well known that Inter can beat them. But once the, the, the red card was odd, so it was in the last group game, and there's no debate whether it was a red or not, he kicked out at somebody. Um, but Inter had to wait until um, only a couple of weeks ago to find out if it would be a two-match ban or a one-match. Um, but they have upheld it as two, so he's just completely out. Um, and I think among the Inter fans, at least, that I talked to, that was kind of the nailing the coffin ceiling. They knew that they were the underdogs, but they want they want Barella on the pitch. Like I said with the defenders, the midfield is in the same sense where they've got three very defined, this is army field, in um, Brozovic, Chalanolu and Barella, and the drop-off is pretty big. So the player that would come in would likely be Arturo Vidal, who obviously everyone's familiar with, but he's you know, he's the sort of player, he, he might rock up and be fantastic on the night. He could also be a complete liability and get sent off. You never know what you're going to get with him anymore. But um, Barella is such a technically gifted player. He can score from distance. He gets in the box, no end, as a lot of players do in this Inzaghi team. And, you know, Inter will be seriously upset that he's not, he's not going to be there. He's such an important player. He's probably in top three important players for them. Yeah, and um, honestly, from my point of view, from what I've seen, obviously, um, only kind of limited glimpses, I suppose. But if we couldn't maybe sign someone like Jude Bellingham, he, he is someone who would probably be quite high, high on my list of dream transfers, um, just because he's one of those players who I think would just really capture the imagination. But um, staying with the absentees, um, let's talk about a couple of other players. So... One of them is is Gerzens, who was signed, I think, towards the end of the January transfer window. Again, someone who um, Liverpool fans will probably have seen at the Euros, and we obviously faced Atalanta last season. Really good attack and wing back. So I'm keen to know what his kind of availability is because he's listed um, as injured at the moment. So I'm keen to see whether he's available for, for either leg. And the other one uh, would be a player you've already mentioned in, in Bastoni because I think he picked up an injury recently, um, but he's, he at least seems to be confident that, that he'd be back. So willing to have Gerzens available for either leg and will they have that sort of first choice back three that you alluded to? So as for Robin Gerzens, he, um, this is the sort of transfer where, you know, it, you know, sometimes you see a transfer and you think, surely that has to go well for everyone involved. He should be a perfect fit. There's no denying his quality. But um, he's been injured basically all season um, and they reckon he'll be back at the end of February so there's not really any hope in terms of the, the first leg um, but they 
they're sort of harbouring hope he might be back for the second. But I don't know exactly how the fixtures fall in the run-up to that second leg. It may well be that they just decide not to use him because, um, you know, it's not like they're unhappy with playing Ivan Perisic. He's having a fantastic season. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's not involved at all, but he's definitely not going to be in the first leg. As for Bastoni, it, he picked up an ankle injury on Tuesday against Roma and first it looked like it was um, it was ligaments, which would be a big deal. But now they reckon it's just a sprained ankle. So apparently he's going to be in the with the physiotherapists basically all week leading up to the game. And they hope that he'll start the second game. He'd certainly be involved in the second, regarding nothing else happens. That he he's rapidly looking like one of the best young defenders um, in European football, basically. He's just, he's got everything about his game. He's extremely calm and he, he scores goals as well. He's actually got a very good shot on him, which is rare for defenders. You know, there's such incredible quality and attack for so many teams now that you don't see defenders really getting involved in that sense, but he can shoot from the edge of the box. So if he's not available for the first leg, then that is a sort of Barella-sized blow for them because they'll have to play somebody like Marco in there, or maybe D'Ambrosio, so that the, the drop-off is just very big if he's not involved. And you're in, you know, some teams uh, relish the chance to play the big dogs, and some teams feel like everything is that, that could possibly go against them is going against them. Obviously, the Champions League got redrawn, and then you get Liverpool. Um, is it a case of Liverpool, uh, sorry, Inter Milan are looking forward to facing Liverpool, and you know, want to make an impact, want to basically make an upset and, and make people look at them as, as one of a, a big European side still? Or is it a case of they know that this is going to be a really tough one for them? Um, the prob's not going to come out on top, but, you know, they're going to make a good account of themselves. Yeah, see, this is a... It's, it's an incredibly confident camp. They They know that, you know, they are almost certainly the best team in Italy. And they are convinced that they can give absolutely anyone a game on their day. Um, in terms of how they'll be feeling, going, it, it's hard to say without knowing the outcome of the Napoli game. If they lose that, it's going to be, you'd, you'd think they'd be down in the dumps. But interestingly, I saw something this morning that of the, I think they've lost four times this season in everything. And after every loss, they've won their following game. There doesn't seem to be any sort of mentality issue in this squad. So if, if if Saturday doesn't go their way, it seems likely that they'll be able to put that behind them straight away and come into this game feeling as confident as they can. And how do you expect the two, the two ties to go out? You know, are you expecting it to be relatively close, or do you think Liverpool will just have too much, or is it a case of you know this Inter Milan team can cause a real upset and uh, they are a team to be in the mix of the Champions League? I, I wouldn't be surprised if the first leg was a draw. I think in into May, you know, they, they may just have enough. It, it's hard to predict Liverpool games because if Liverpool turn up, then Liverpool win the game. Generally speaking, it's as simple as that. But you know, Inter certainly have what it takes to really frustrate them at San Siro with with how long it's been since there's been knockout Champions League football. There, it's going to be. No, they're going to be right up for it. The entire crowd will be up for it, although I think it will still only be 50% capacity, I think. Um, but 
yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a draw in that second leg, but overall, I just think Liverpool will be able to handily win at home. I just think I think they'll they'll have too much over two games. In a, in a one-off game, Inter can certainly beat them over two legs with Barilla out, possibly without Bastoni in the first leg as well. I just think Liverpool have got too much for them this time. And obviously, we hear um, a load of managers, uh, a load of pundits talk about Liverpool's atmosphere, and I think uh, you, you obviously hear about those famous Anfield nights under the lights in the Champions League, and I think that is probably what helps Liverpool the most um, in two set two tired legs. You know, it, the fact that you can, you know, go to Inter Milan's ground, the San Siro, and you can, you know, get a draw, feel really good about it, but you're going to be in a cauldron of noise, and you're not going to get a chance to think and. Uh, inside Anfield and hopefully from a Liverpool point of view it will be absolutely a cacophony of noise um, and you know hopefully Inter Milan won't have the time of you know data even think about doing something and be put under the pressure um, but that's obviously from my hopes and dreams of how it's going to go I'll ask you for an aggregate score prediction and obviously from your previous answer I know that it's very hard to predict a game like this um, with a team like Liverpool and also a team like Milan who it can cause teams trouble, especially can cause Liverpool trouble. Um, but it all depends on which team turns up and, and what gear they turn up into. Because I think Liverpool can obviously go into an extra gear if needed that Inter Milan can't uh, you know, elevate themselves up to. But it's if Liverpool can get that gear. Um, but yeah, I'll ask you for your aggregate, aggregate score. Uh, I mean, I'll go with... I'm always wrong with these, so don't listen. But I'll go with one all for the first leg and 2-0 Liverpool in the second leg. Whatever that is, 3-1. Three, one. <laughs> yeah, 3-1 yeah, overall. I don't think I don't think there'll be anything mad. But the thing is, you make these predictions, but then I think of ties like in recent years when you played Bayern, etc. And you think, oh, that could be very tight. And then, you know, you go 3-0 up in half an hour, whatever. And they're sort of all... Yeah. all all normal predictions get thrown out the window. But, yes, sensible-wise, I think 3-1 Liverpool over the two legs makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, sounds, sounds like a, a reasonable prediction to me. And it'll be interesting, won't it, with these Champions League ties to see how the lack of uh, the away goals rule now affects kind of the dynamic and things like that. I think, you know, Liverpool, there won't be any sort of conservatism on their part in the first leg. It's not the nature of the side, but... You know, it'll be it will be interesting generally across across the board, um, how the games kind of adjust it in response to that. But yeah, that was pretty much everything we wanted to cover. So, you know, I'm someone who likes to, you know, when we when we play a, a team from a different league in Europe, I'll always, you know, try and do a lot of reading about them beforehand, get an idea of what we're gonna come up against. But I don't need to do that. Don't need to now, I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We've uh <laughs> We've we've covered um, pretty much all the bases there. So, thanks again, you uh, and for for coming on and giving us the the lowdown on on Inter Milan. Um, we're going to be back later this week um, on the back of the of the Inter tie to to offer our reaction to it um, and look ahead to the game at the weekend, which I think will be against Norwich. Um, so we'll we'll see you then. Before we go though, I feel it's only right to give you a chance to plug any um, work that he wants us. And our listeners to have a look at um, you and I'll put your Twitter in the uh, episode description so you don't need to worry about dropping that but any sort of content articles that you uh, want to plug um, well there's 
constant articles going out on Sempre Inter, which, um, I mean, it's mostly for Inter fans in the sense that it's um, all sorts of very specific news <laughs> all day long. But um, with, on Forza Italian Football, we, um, we do two or three podcasts a week. Some of it's behind a Patreon account, and there's also a free podcast every week, which we just round up everything that's happened in Serie A, basically. So if anyone does want to catch up a bit more on what goes on in that league for the rest of the season, bear in mind there's a very good title race going on, then that once a week is a very good way to be across everything. Well, that sounds perfect. Um, yeah, the Serie A title race seems to be the best one in Europe. I think we could only wish the, uh, the Premier League one was, was as close as, as that. But yeah, that is that is going to do us for this bonus episode of Red Zone Restrict. Remember to rate the podcast five stars on Spotify if you can and any other podcast variety you might use. But as I say, we'll be back towards the end of this week. And until then, take care.